Well, turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. This will be our last time uh, turning to the book of Philippians uh, on a Sunday morning in this particular series, The Pursuit of Joy. We bring it to a close uh, this afternoon. We're turning to Philippians chapter 4, please, in the verse 10, as we consider the closing verses here in Philippians chapter 4. This is our 20th study in the book of Philippians. And we're bringing it to a close in the Lord's will this afternoon. Philippians chapter 4, and we're reading from the verse 10. And this is the word of the Lord, Paul writing. And he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate my affliction. Now ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, they sent once and again unto my necessity, not, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit, that may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now on to God. And our Father... Be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together before we consider these verses. Our Father, truly we have come to the most important part of our gathering today. This is the center point. This is the reason why we gather brothers and sisters together. On this, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, we gather to hear from you. So Father, as we have this precious book that is open before us, We pray, O God, that you will minister to each heart. We pray, Father, that we will glean from the truths found within. That, Father, by your Spirit you will minister to each. Father, I pray for your help personally. I ask, Father, for a fresh filling of the Spirit. I pray, Father, that indeed you would hide me behind the cross of Christ. Father, I pray that your voice would be heard. So, Father, bless us as we meet. Bless us as we consider your word, and we ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we come to these final verses in the book of Philippians today and we conclude our studies in the book of Philippians. And of course, we may revisit the book in the future, but truly it's been quite the journey in pursuit of joy, as we've called it. And really what this book has taught us, that in order to experience that soul satisfaction in this life, how we must be looking to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We must be aiming to live each day more and more like our Saviour, as the Spirit of God does His work in our hearts, that work of sanctification, and how we should be seeking to strive to have a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, last week, that was the challenge that we finished with, and it's weighed heavy on my soul throughout the week. Am I closer with my Saviour today than I was yesterday? Am I closer with my Saviour this Lord's Day than I was last Lord's Day? Of course, last week we considered those verses from 10 through to 13, and we considered the power that it was in, is within us. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And we were learning to be content. And Paul certainly was a man who had learned to be content in whatever situation life brought him. And he was content because he was seeking a closer relationship with his Savior day by day. What a challenge that is, to be striving to have that deeper, more closer relationship with our Savior each day. And of course, that is what will lead to joy. Right at the beginning of our series, back in September, we gave a definition for biblical joy. And this is how Pastor John MacArthur defines it. This is what he says. Joy is the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life for the believer's good and for his glory. Biblical joy is available to all those who will place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. And strive to live for him. And God commands believers to rejoice. We have seen that right throughout this book. We've read the command in chapter 2 verse 18. In chapter 3 verse 1. In chapter 4 verse 4. And there's been other places throughout scripture as well. That we've referred to. 2 Corinthians 13 11. 1 Thessalonians 5 16. To rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. It's something that we ought to do. During the second world war. Paul Schneider was a pastor of a church in Berlin and he was imprisoned by Hitler because of his preaching against fascism. And as a result, he never saw his wife and two-year-old boy again. And he, and he was beaten and he was tortured in a prison camp and then finally executed. But before his execution, he wrote letters And they were out to his family and he wrote them to his wife and his letters, even though all these horrible things were going on, they were filled with joy. You would have found lines in his letters such as, I'm so happy, I'm so grateful to the Lord, I'm filled with joy, he lived for Christ and therefore he had nothing to lose. I wonder in the desperate pits of life, and I challenge my own soul with this too, Would we be able to say from the bottoms of our heart, the bottom of our hearts, I'm so grateful to the Lord. Hard to do. Dear Christian friend this afternoon, are you in that ever-deepening relationship with Christ? Now as we continue to consider these verses today, I want you to know just a couple of things. And, And the first is this. The first is this. I want you to see the Philippians' partnership with Paul. 
Paul means, Paul's main purpose for writing this whole letter was to express his gratitude for the gift which had been sent to him from the Philippian congregation. He had begun this section by telling of his own joy of their gift. In verse 10 he said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care or your gift to me has come. It's flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Paul says, you cared for me all along. Your gift has arrived. And he noted that there had been an interruption that had occurred in their care for him, but he wasn't scolding them. He knew that they had been trying over these years to minister to him, but they were unable. And the gift had arrived and had been sent by Epaphroditus. And Paul confirms that in verse 18, where he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. He's pleased with the gift they've sent. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And as Paul evaluated the generosity of the Philippians, he came to three important conclusions. The conclusion one that he came to was that the giving brings a blessing to the person who receives the gift. Paul was very thankful for the generous gift because they gave and he said, I have all and abound, I am full. That's what he says in verse 18. So Paul received a blessing from their gift. But something else, God receives a blessing when we give. Look at what it says in verse 18 again. It says, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When we give to God's work, when we give to God's people, we see that they, the, person, the person receiving the gift gets a blessing. God gets a blessing. But finally, the person who gives the gift receives a blessing as well. Paul told the Philippians that they had done well in verse 14 and described their gift as fruit that abounds to your account. Now we have entitled this message today Spiritual Investment. Spiritual Investment. You see, when we give of our gifts, when we give of our finances, when we give of our abilities to the Lord's work, we are investing in our spiritual account, in our account in eternity. And this is a proper motive for Christians to cultivate. Christians should seek out opportunities to expend their generosity because by selling what they have and giving alms, they would be able to do for themselves what it says in Luke twelve thirty three: Purses that do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Investing in our treasure in heaven. I want you to see two things in this partnership that they had. The, the, the Philippian church, they were a caring church. They cared for Paul. Do you not see what Paul has said in verse 10? He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your gift or your care of me hath flourished again. In Paul's day, people under arrest were not cared for by the state. It was up to the prisoners themselves to see that their physical needs were met. And Paul had no visible means of support. Paul was cast wholly on the Lord for his help and therefore God's people. And the Christians in Philippi, they cared for Paul continually. They were, they were a caring church. But where were all the other churches in Paul's time of need? Like we must ask that question. There were many churches around. The Philippian church, here they were, and they cared for Paul. But where were all the other Christians? You see, the Philippian church will be remembered for the care that they gave to God's servant. 
Let me tell you, the church in Rome in those days, they were they're remembered for their visible faith. We read that in Romans 1 verse 8. Uh, the church in Ephesus is remembered for its lack of love for the Savior. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Corinth was remembered for its division and its moral slackness. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 11 and chapter 5 verse 1. The church in Philadelphia will be remembered for its fidelity. Uh, the, the church in Laodicea will be remembered for its lukewarmness. But Philippi will be remembered for its care of the Lord's servant. Grange Baptist Church will be remembered for what? If people were to look at Grange Baptist Church, at our fellowship, what will this generation be remembered for? Are we a caring church? Are we continually mindful of the needs of God's servants? Can people go from this place to serve Christ at home and abroad knowing that we'll care for them? Knowing that we'll not forget them? What about the care for those who are in physical need closer to home? Do we minister to the people in our fellowship who are in need? Can you see the care that was given by the Philippian church to Paul. This partnership, it was an outstanding partnership. It was outstanding in so much as it stood in direct contrast with many of the other churches that were around in those days. And that's why Paul is saying in verse 15, he says, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, he says, now ye Philippians, the walls with the beginning of the gospel, right from the start, they were with him. Right from the start, they supported him. Paul knew that this church, their support was outstanding and it was ongoing. Paul says, when I was sent out to Macedonia, there was no other church shared and giving except from you. So he says, the very fact of your partnership with me is outstanding. You're such a caring church. Here is a fledgling church, not very old. And there were others who had been around, other churches who had been around for much longer. And yet somehow or another, from the very outset, they were determined that they would be supportive of the Apostle Paul, recognizing all that he meant for them. They were a caring church, but I want you to see also they were a sharing church. Look at what it says in verse 14, or as another translation puts it, it says this, But it was right and commendable and noble of you to contribute for my needs and to share my difficulties with me. The partnership, it was long-standing. This wasn't a one-off time, one-off gift that the Philippians shared. That's the significance of verse 16. When Paul says, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. You sent me, he says, again and again and again when I was in need. This wasn't a one-off gift. And we all understand that distinction between making a one-time contribution and making a contribution that is marked continually. And every so often someone might write a note and say, I'm sending this to you and giving this to this to this particular part of the work of God in your fellowship. I want this used in a particular way. And please note, this is a one-time contribution. And then there's others that will write and say, I'm giving this to you because of the sense of urgency that I feel in this work that I want to support. And I want you to know that I'm giving this in this way in this day. And as God enables me, I will give it to you in subsequent days and weeks. And I'll continue supporting the work. I'm prepared to give by, urge, by the urging of God's Spirit, not sporadically, 
But often, again and again, now don't get me wrong. When I think of my own testimony and how the Lord took me to Bible college, I was glad of those who the Lord put it in their heart to send one-time gifts to me. Don't get this wrong. If the Lord puts it in your heart to send a one-off gift, you do it. And I want to tell you something. I am so glad that the Lord supplied my need when I was away studying in Scotland. I was so glad for those who supported me often, and I was so glad for those that the Lord put it in their heart, and it was a one-off gift. I was just so glad that the Lord had put people, my name and people's hearts. But here Paul was saying to the Philippian church, this was a long term, you'd continually supported me, and he was so grateful for that support time and time again. And that's why, although a decade had passed, Here was the Apostle Paul and he's in jail in Rome and the dear Philippian Christians who had been there right from the beginning were right up to date with where Paul was and they wanted to support him. The Philippians' partnership was a wonderful partnership with Paul. But I want you to see Paul's perspective as well. Look at what it says here. It says in verse 17, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Spiritual investment. Now you've got to think about this for a moment. Here comes the apostle. And he writes this letter and he says, I'm so thankful for what you have given to me. And the natural response from the church might have been to say, well, see, I told you we should have sent them that coat. I bet he loved that coat. Or I'm glad we sent them that food. I'm sure it kept them going for a few days and so on. But Paul doesn't even mention the gifts. He doesn't even say, well, thank you so much for this and that. Thank you for this. It was so useful. He doesn't say anything about that. He says, I'm glad that you gave to me, not because you gave to me, but because of what it means for you. Do you get this? It's spiritual investment and the whole, it's a whole different form of accounting than what this world knows. For the Lord Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Paul is saying to them, it isn't the value of the gift that I'm focused on. It's the the reward that will come to you because you gave the gift. Because in giving in this way, the Philippians were investing in eternity. They were laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. They were able to anticipate rich dividends in, in much the same way that they were accumulating interest. The way we accumulate interest, well, they were banking in the bank of heaven, so they were. And Paul says, I'm so excited that you're so generous because you have made investment now and you'll receive the benefit later and it will be way better than you could ever imagine. He doesn't talk about the benefit that comes to him. Who benefits most from a gift? When it's given to God's work, you might say, well, it's obvious the recipient does. Well, here Paul says, the primary beneficiary of your faithful giving is you. And I don't just mean the warm feeling that you get when you help someone. Paul is talking about someone that goes, something that goes far beyond that. Whether you invest your time or your treasures or your talent in God's kingdom work, God deposits fruit into your eternal account. 
So God, others and you benefit from what you give. God pays in many ways, including eternal rewards that you will, that you're commanded to store up for yourself in heaven. We've read that verse already. It's important to understand that what you become a partner with whomever you support. If you support a missionary, if you support our church, for example, anything that the Lord allows our church and ministries to accomplish, you share in it. This means that you, when you stand before Christ, You'll be rewarded for the fruit that comes from the ministry here at Grange. And even though the Philippians were 800 miles away from Paul, they supported his ministry. And through Paul's fruit, the eternal payoff for them would be great. Perhaps you need to spend more time investing in your eternal account. We need to ask. Where are our resources? I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about the gifts that the Lord has given you. How are you using your resources that God has given you? Are you using them? And are you using them in the places that will have the most eternal impact? Paul says in verse 18, I have all and abound, I am full. And Paul calls their gift a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These terms, they come out of the Old Testament where they describe the sacrifices that worshipped off, that worshippers offered to God. They were also used in the New Testament to describe Christ's offering of himself for our sins in Ephesians 5 verse 2. The point is, when you give to the church, you aren't giving to the church and the pastor. You aren't giving, when you give to a missionary or a missionary organization, you aren't giving to them directly. You're giving to God himself. It's God's work. And if Jesus Christ bodily were to walk into this church and if he were to walk down the aisle and if he were to show you the nail scars in his hands that were pierced for you and then you were to see the offering at the back or the gifts that he's given you, I'm sure you and I would give very differently. It wouldn't be all right, here's a few points, or all right, I'll give, do it, make a half-hearted effort at that Bible lesson if they teach it at the children or wherever. You would give your whole heart. You would give all that you have. Now here was a church, the Philippians, and Paul acknowledged that they were giving all that they had. How's your stewardship? What are you giving? Do you give of yourself generously or poorly, cheerfully or grudgingly, acceptably or unacceptably? You see, when you give to the Lord, no matter what it is, it ought to be done with a heart of worship. The story is told of a farmer known for his generous giving, and his friends could never understand how he gave so much and remained so prosperous. And one day one of his friends asked him, well, we can't understand how you give far, far more than any of the rest of us. And yet you always seem to have plenty. It's easy to explain, said the farmer. I keep shoveling into God's bin. And God keeps shoveling back into mine with a bigger shovel. Paul trusted fully in God's provision. And Paul knew as the Philippian church gave that the Lord would supply all their need. And as we close this book, I want to spend the last few moments here in verse 19. Because it's a wonderful verse. But my God shall supply all your need 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. These are the last words that Paul pens before his benediction. What a lovely line to finish this letter on. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. You see, here's Paul in the prison cell and he says, I fully trust in God's provision. Paul realized that his wealth and health came from the Lord. Paul's source of supply was just found in the first three words of verse 19. It was, but my God. There was his source of supply. My God. That was the source. All earthly wealth. There's nothing intrinsically evil in it. But it's the love of money that's the root of evil. But we must remember that it's transient and it's temporary. And the wealth and fashion of this world, as John puts it in 1 John 2.17, it passeth away and it disappears. And therefore to put our faith in financial things and monetary and the monetary societies and the way this world is, it's fatal. For financial depressions will come and it can wipe out overnight our fortunes. And thieves can break in, as the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, and steal our entire life savings away. Time even deteriorates the wonderful buildings that men erect to their pride, and to, to be pride and strength, and they look at these buildings, but time erodes them. But isn't it wonderful to know that the source where our supply is coming from and where our need is met is in none other than God Almighty. But my God, says Paul, shall supply all your need. It's the God of heaven, the God of the universe, from whom no one and nothing can impoverish him and take his wealth away from him. He is the one who accumulated, he created the wealth of every mine. He created the cattle in a thousand hills. And because he is the one who accumulated all the wealth that there is an existence, he is the God who allocates it and he is the source of our supply. Dear Christian, I'm glad I'm relying on him. Hudson Taylor's life story is a thrilling testimony to the faithfulness of God and Hudson Taylor had a deep experience with God that taught him not to trust in himself. This is what he wrote to a friend. He said, "It is not a, it is not a striving to have faith but looking off to the faithful one is all we need. He understood that verse, Hudson Taylor. There will be times when our resources may be exhausted by life's demands, but we serve one whose strength is never exhausted and whose cupboard is never bare. My God, what does he say? Shall supply. How wonderful that is. Do you see the certainty of his supply? My God shall. Spurgeon says God supplies are surer than the Bank of England. Do you see the adequacy of this supply? According to his glorious riches. I wonder is it possible to calculate the riches of God? Well there's the riches of his goodness found in Romans 2 verse 4. There's the riches of his wisdom found in Romans 11 verse 33. There's the riches of his grace found in Ephesians 1 verse 7. There's the riches of his glory found in Ephesians 1 verse 18. And he will meet our need in a manner that benefits, that, that, that befits his wealth. Can you see the reliability of the supply? 
Because here's what it says. This supply, it's by or in Christ Jesus. You see, but my God, there's the source, will supply. There's the certainty. He shall supply all your need according to his riches, God's riches for us, his goodness, his wisdom, his grace, his glory. All those riches that we're told about in scripture, we can see the reliability of it because it's by Christ Jesus. God has given us this this sign check to provide for every genuine need that arises in our lives. Your need, how needful we are. Really, the truth is, from the moment that we're born to the moment we die, needs are in every corner. We have material needs for food and clothing. We have physical needs for health and strength. We have personal needs for the word and prayer. We have moral needs for pardon and cleansing. We have social needs for friends and fellowship. We have intellectual needs for discernment and wisdom. We have needs that are known to us and unknown to us. But who is sufficient for them, says Paul as he closes his book. My God shall supply. There was a man who was in who was old and poverty-stricken, red Indian in the States, who many years ago made his way into into a Western settlement and searched for food to keep him from starving. There was a bright-colored ribbon seen around his neck from which there hung a little dirty pouch or money purse. And on being asked what it was, the illiterate Indian said, I think it's a charm that was given to me in my younger days. And he opened it. And the man that took it out saw saw a bit of worn paper, crumpled and torn. And when it was read, was found on the inspection to be a, when he read it and inspected it, it was found to be a regular discharge from federal army. And the signature that was on it was none other than George Washington himself. And what this piece of paper entitled this Indian to do who had fought in the war, was to have a pension for the rest of his life. Here was a man with a promise, duly signed, sealed and delivered, around his neck, walking round in poverty. And he was walking round hungry and helpless, begging for bread to keep him from starving. And all he needed was hanging round his neck the entire time. Is that not like us sometimes? When there's a heavenly father spoken of here in this benediction, now unto our God and father be glory. A father who has his eye on his children. A father who has his eye watching the sparrow. A God who will supply all our need. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, preached in verse 19 in one occasion. His outline was this, he called his sermon God's Check, and he said, My God, that is the name of the firm in the check. My God shall supply, that's the promise to pay. All you need, that's the amount to be paid. His riches, that's the deposit in the account against the check that is drawn in glory. That's the address of the bank, glory. By Christ Jesus, that's the signature that appears in the check. This check needs but one thing to make it practical and a valuable thing. That's for us to truly have faith in Christ and that ever-deepening relationship with him. We've finished our studies in Philippians. And may God receive the glory due to him that we read in verses 20 
22, from 21, 22 and 23. Now unto God. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.